The roles are reversed. Things to consider when your parent is growing old. On the next On Air with Myrick O'Connell, right now. Welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. When are your parents growing old? When do you think that having any conversation about them is worthwhile? What should that conversation be? The so-called sandwich generation is growing as people are living longer. Kids are getting stuck in the middle. And the issue we'll discuss today isn't so much what to do when they die, but how do you ensure things are taken care of if there's a problem while your parents are alive? Planning can help ease the stress. With us to talk about all of these issues and more is Myrick O'Connell elder law attorney Arthur Bergeron. Arthur, welcome back to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Howard, it's always great to be with you, and I know you, 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 you love doing these shows, and I love being on with you. So, happy to talk about this topic, which is obviously near and dear to me. Absolutely. No, thank you. So, the first question, Arthur, what are some of the common issues children of aging parents face? Well, probably the number one issue, and, and I should start off by saying, when we're talking about aging parents, so we're all aging. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm going to be turning 73 next month. Mm. I love my work because my clients think I'm young, but we're all <laughs> aging, and 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 many many parents have figured out through an estate plan that they may have done recently or ages ago um, uh, how their assets will be dealt with after the two of them have died. And many of these folks think that that's the that's the reason why they did their estate plan was to make sure after they were both they were di- had died that that things were being taken care of. But as they get older, and when I say older, I'm saying typically for folks who are 70 and older, one of the worries that that st- starts becoming a small cloud in their uh, over their, them and gets becomes bigger as they get older, is what happens while I'm alive, if you know, God forbid, I you know, I I ended up having memory problems or for some other reason need a lot of care at home or need to be in a nursing home. What am I going to do? And the and the answer is typically that that those things cost a tremendous amount of money, and so you're probably going to want to be trying to qualify for Mass Health, uh, which is the Massachusetts name for the, the the Medicaid program. But if if you want to do that kind of planning, especially if you're if you're single, if you're widowed or divorced or or, or just plain old single, then the, in order to protect your assets in the event that you need to qualify for Mass Health. You really need to plan for it well in advance, like over like five years in advance. And, right. and, and that's many people, it's, it's very difficult. It's a difficult conversation to have. For many people, it's really hard to do. Well, you know, those are all really good points, Arthur, and as always. And, uh, you know, children of aging parents often struggle with knowing when to step in. How do you know when the time is right? <sighs> well, you know... 70 and older is a good time to be thinking that maybe it's worth um, having a conversation with your parents. Mom and Dad, you know, you, we know that you know, you're probably taking care of things after you die, but have you really thought about how things are going to play out while you're still alive, right? So but beyond that, there isn't like a, a magic age, you know? The, the answer is, it is really going to depend based on your sense of your parents and how and, and how they're doing, just how they're doing physically, how they're doing mentally, you know. Mm-hmm. And, for example, are they, are they married, right? If you have both parents still alive and one of them needs to qualify for mass health, 
well, then that's really not an issue. Everything can be done at the last minute by simply shifting assets to the healthy spouse. Mm -hmm. If, on the other hand, one of your parents has died and the other one has this kind of concern, well, that's where that early planning really is, is very important. The other piece, though, is even if they don't want to be kind of facing doing any of this, these kinds of issues right now, you do want to make sure that they have their basic documents, right? And when I say their basic documents, these are their lifetime documents, not their estate documents. The two documents that are relevant while they're alive are their power of attorney and their healthcare proxy. Right. And you want to make sure your parents have that, that, that if you're talking to your parents, they have those. And, and, and if they're married, there's a good chance if they did those documents a long time ago, that the documents, they named each other as their agent so that if one of them is incapacitated, the other one can take care of things. But often, um, if it, they were done a long time ago, they never named a backup. And that becomes increasingly important uh, as the two of them age, because if one of them gets, gets sick or has problems, it may be that the other one has problems too. Right. And so you need to make sure that there's some mechanism through which someone can step in. Same thing with the healthcare proxy. It's really important that, that there be a backup, right? I guess the, the other thing would just be, to some extent, once you have the power of attorney and the healthcare proxy so that you know that if there is an emergency, there is somebody there who can handle that, then the real question is, is there not necessarily an emergency, but are there things that are emerging, right? Mm -hmm. is, there, is there one parent who is really, you think is really starting to have problems if both parents are alive, is it one of those situations, which I see all the time, where one parent is having some problems and the other parent doesn't want to bother the kids and is just trying to kind of trying to cover for them? So, you know, if that's the situation, then you really, really want to have a conversation with the folks kind of about what's going on, or at least with the well parent to say, you know, mom or dad, you know, do, is the, are there some things that you kind of need, need to be thinking about right now? because of this situation that's occurring, you know, with your wife or, or with your husband, right? And then, you know, certainly if somebody has had, suppose someone has had a stroke or a TIA, a TIA, which is really a, a, a mini stroke, uh, the, the greatest predictor of whether you're going to have a stroke, uh, other than age, which is, a, you know, a, a big predictor of stroke. And, and so the older you get, the greater the chance you're going to have one. The greatest predictor is that you've already had one. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, if one of your folks has had a stroke or a, a, a t many people never want to refer to a TIA as a stroke, but that's what it is. You know, if they've had these, this basically warning shots, like kind of God's warning shot saying, Oh, got to be careful. Right. Um, at that point, you may want to be, they may want to be talking about making sure that things are in place in case there's another stroke. Because, you know, as you know, strokes, you know, there are three possibilities. You have a stroke, you could end up dead or you can end up fine. But then you can end up in that in-between state where you're not dead, you're here, but you can't make any decisions. And, it, and that could last for a long time, right? And so you want to make sure that there are documents in place to make sure that if your parent is in that situation for that long time, that A, there's somebody that can actually be there to kind of pay the bills and do all of the stuff that needs to be done. And B, there is somebody who can make medical decisions for that person if they can't make those medical decisions for themselves. Quick question, Arthur. What, is, what does TIA stand for? I knew you were going to ask. It's, uh, you know, I'm going to get close. It's a, it's a, it's a trans, 
uh, uh, or a transitory ischemic, I don't know what the word is, uh, attack, TIA, uh, huh. right? And transitory, so it, it, as opposed to a stroke, which may, may be causing permanent, you know, maybe an attack on your system that is causing permanent damage. Right. It may be something that just kind of hits you, right? I'm very aware of these because I had what, what turned out to be probably my second TIA this hmm. just this June, oh. right? And so I'll tell you this other symptom was simple. I was actually sitting at where I am right now. I was sitting in my office, Mm -hmm. but it was in the evening and I was doing extra work because I was leaving the next day to uh, go to see my, my, our daughter and, and our two grandchildren. Our second grandson had just been born and we were going, I was going down for the bris, right? Yeah. Um, Because my, my daughter is married, married a, uh, uh, the son of a rabbi. So we were going, we were going down for this Ah, celebration. Um. And so I was sitting here and I started feeling funny and 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 said to myself, uh, but out loud, oh, maybe I'm having a stroke, except the way the words came out were, well, maybe I'll be there. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. Oh, wow. This is not good. Uh, and then my right arm started getting numb. And I said to myself, well, that's not good either. Right. And so I found myself, you know, saying, you know, what should I do right now? Should I call 911, you know? Or, you know, what, what should I do? And I ended up not. I ended up not calling. Um, and the symptoms went away, right? And my doctor later told me what you should have done at that point was go to the hospital, which I did not do. Right. That's what I was going to um, say. Yeah. But probably yeah. a good That's move. what you're supposed to do. Right. right? But yeah. I didn't. Instead, I actually drove to D.C. the next day to go see my daughter, which was stupid, right? <laughs> but, you, you know, you at my age, you, you know, you do stupid things like that. But the point is, once you've had one, as my doc, that was when my doctor told me that you know the best way of knowing if you're going to have another stroke is if you had one already, right? Uh, and so, it, it, and so, if that's the situation, and it may be, you know, it, that your parents haven't told you that because they, like me, just had this like little thing and said, "Oh well, I won't bother anybody with that," right? Right. But if if something like that is happening, that's when you really want to talk to the parents. You want to be saying, in couch it in terms of, "Look, my dad." You know, I'm not saying you're going to die tomorrow. I'm just saying, you know, you, it it pays to be prepared here. That's all. Right. So these are all really helpful insights, Arthur, on when to start planning. So let's talk, if we could, for a second about the what. So what are we planning for here? So the big thing that you need to plan for way ahead of time, once you have your power of attorney and healthcare proxy, that you know those bases are covered so that somebody your kids or, your, or, or somebody can handle things, or if you're the child, you know that your parents have dealt with the fact that if, if they get in trouble suddenly, if they have that stroke that's more serious, that there's somebody who can handle those things. Well, then the, then the, other, the other questions that, the, that, you're, that their parents tend to raise or that you could raise with the parents, because the parents are worried about it, right, is how do you make sure that if that situation occurred and they needed to qualify for mass health, because they were going to need long-term um, uh, care in a nursing home or because they needed a lot of care at home in order to avoid going to a nursing home. If they needed that, then how could they qualify without basically having to spend all of their money on that care first, on the nursing home or on the, the home care? Right. And if, if the parent is single, then the issue is in order for those assets to be protected, those assets need to be given away and then, the, and then the parent needs to wait five years before the assets will no longer need to be given back to them and used to pay for um, care uh, if, if their health deteriorates. Mm-hmm. 
And I just had this conversation. I just had this conversation literally about an hour ago um, with the folks, some folks, and it was the, the mother and the two sons. And she was saying, so what do I do? You know, I'm 78 and I have my, my income's okay, but I've got, you know, $600,000, right? My, I sold my house, you know, I've, now I'm, I'm, I'm living in a, in a retirement community. I've got, I've got some money. And, and my income isn't great, but I worry about this. What do I do? And I told her, I said, and the two sons were on the line. And I said, well, you know, what you have to do if you want to protect any assets is you have to give them away and wait five years. And if you just have one son and you trust him, then what you can do is just give the son the assets and wait five years. And five years and a day after you've done that, um, those assets are no longer countable if you need to qualify for mass health. And right. then, of course, the senior's immediate question is, but I, I'm losing control of the money. And I said, that's right. right. So you only would do this if you trust, if you have someone you can trust. And, but in this case, if you have someone you can trust, you can just do that. Or if there are multiple children, then that is the situation where many people will, will create a so-called irrevocable trust. And everybody says, what is that? An irrevocable trust is something from which you cannot take things into which you have put them. So if you have an irrevocable trust and you transfer money into it, you don't have the legal right to get it back. But the way you would, the irrevocable trust typically works if you have multiple children is you, is you would transfer all of the assets to your most trusted child as the trustee of that trust. And the trust would say that while you're alive, that, that, that trustee, uh, while, while the beneficiaries named in the trust would be the, the child and the other siblings, the trustee would have the, the, the right um, to transfer any amount of money while you're alive to any one of those children. The, the assumption being, because this child you trust, that in that situation, if you needed the money, the trustee would transfer the money to himself or herself or one of the other siblings who would then give it back to you or use it on your behalf. And as long, and then the trust would say that following your death, the assets would get divided however you would had otherwise plan to divide the assets, right? Mm -hmm. But the point is, if that is done more than five years, um, if you, and you transfer the assets more than five years before you need you need this care, that money would no longer need to get spent down before you needed care. And then, of course, the standard que and the question that this lady raised literally was, you know, but I'm losing control. And I told her, I said, so look, say to yourself, and and, and children can just talk to their parents about it, this. Say to yourself, how much money do you absolutely want to know you have total control over? Otherwise, you're going to lose sleep. Yeah. And that may be $600,000, in which case you don't want to do this. You don't want to transfer any money out. But most likely, it's much less than that. Say it's $100,000. Say it's $200,000. Keep that money and then transfer the rest of the money into to the child or to the irrevocable trust. And that way, you know that the only money that's at risk if you need to qualify for mass health is the smaller amount, the hundred or the $200,000. But you also know that day to day, you're not gonna be having to call your kids all the time to get money, right? right. So if the, the children are thinking about that, you know, you, they, you may wanna raise it and say, maybe we wanna talk to somebody and I'll guarantee what's in the back of your parents' mind is, but I don't wanna, this is our money. This is, we, my, your dad and I saved for this. All. We don't wanna lose control. And so you may want to say, well, maybe we just maybe we want to talk about whether you want to protect some of the money, the rainy day money. OK, sure. But now, one, one other thing, if, if you know, as they're getting older and they're getting sick or the other issue that comes up, especially for single people, 
uh, is, well, you know, God forbid, you know, when I die, I don't want, you know, I want to give the money to my kids, not to the Department of Revenue, right? Right. And that's an issue if you if you're dying, leaving more than a million dollars in assets, because in that case, the marginal uh, estate tax rate in Massachusetts on those first dollars over a million is 40 percent. So the first dollar over a million, you're giving 40 cents to the government. If the first hundred thousand over a million, you're giving forty thousand dollars to the government. So, you may want to have a mechanism in place to make sure that before you die, those assets get given away early, so that upon your death they don't get included in your taxable estate, um, and therefore you don't have to pay the tax. Right. We've been talking about things to consider when your parents are growing old with Myra O'Connell, elder law attorney Arthur Bergeron. Arthur. I want to thank you for taking the time to come on on air with Myra O'Connell today and explain what can be a very complicated topic, and I think you've really made things uh, easy and simple to understand. Thank you, Arthur. Oh, Howard, always a pleasure. I look, I look forward to talking to you in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. If folks uh, want to contact you, have questions, comments about this topic or other elder law issues, how can they reach you? So my direct line is... Um uh, 508-860-1470 here at the office. My cell phone is 508-596-5526, or they can always email me directly. I respond to emails every morning between 6 and 8, and the email address is abergeron, A-B-E-R-G-E-R-O-N, at myrickoconnell.com, M-I-R-I-C-K-O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. Thank you, Arthur. I'm Howard Kaplan. Be well. Take care. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myra O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. 